Hello and welcome to the Light from Light podcast with me, Daniel, and I'm joined by Brother Thomas Therese, comma, OP. <laughs> How are you, Brother Thomas? How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Can't complain. The um, the time is now over, so a lot of those stresses and pressures um, have been relieved. It's been a very busy time. Um, yeah, I mean, congratulations I mean, on finishing your time. Well done. Thank you very much. I mean, work sort of carries on, you know, over the Christmas period. It's a very busy time, obviously, for uh, clergy and for, I mean, not, I'm not clergy yet, but for religious too. <laughs> it's still, it's, yeah, it's, it's, busy it's time. Get yeah, a busy, busy for time. parishes as well. I imagine you'd be very yeah. busy for that. Uh, will you have some time off? Do you get any time off? Uh, hopefully, yes. I think I will get, I will get, um, a couple of days uh, away to see my family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not obviously on Christmas Day. We have to be here for Christmas Day and things like that. But after Christmas, I'll be able to see my see my family for a little bit. And uh, I hope um, I yeah. hope you'll be able to get away. Let's hope so. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. How about exactly. you? You doing all right? Yeah, good, good. Things are busy in the parish here, so but you know it's enjoyable. It's it's always very joyful leading up to Christmas and yeah. It's such a wonderful it's, it's, time of year, isn't it? Yeah, Some I really like Advent. Say... Advent's, Advent's yeah. really especially. I'm mean, like Lent as well, but yeah, me too. Advent's very special. That's that sense of a sense of waiting, a sense of anticipation. Yeah, I think the readings as well. Like the readings are just really, really sort of hit home. They really hit me in the heart quite quite deep. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, it's a wonderful and time of year. That leads us on to our subject. What's our subject for today? Uh, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about Luke's infancy narrative. So in the last podcast, of course, when we were talking about how you might get ready for Advent and things like that, we spoke about, you know, you might want to read the beginning of Luke's gospel, the beginning of Matthew's gospel, the beginning of the gospel of John. Um, and so, yeah, today we're going to talk about some of the interesting features in the first two chapters of Luke's gospel that you might, yeah, that you might want to know. Hopefully will help to show how lively the text is and sort of maybe shed some light on some aspects of the text that perhaps maybe a lot of people yeah wouldn't necessarily know yeah yeah and, and help, do. help prepare our listeners for the coming of christ i know in preparing for this particular podcast episode i found it very beneficial actually it's it's been it's been really it's good actually to go through it? these things yeah to, to actually spend some time in the text and go a little bit deeper as 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 well with the text uh, you know luke's gospel is actually referred to as the infancy gospel because we we get a lot I of did the, not know that yeah we get a lot of the stories of of jesus's infancy from this so not just the the birth of jesus but also the presentation of jesus in the temple and the finding of jesus in the temple as well those mm -hmm. two stories come from luke's gospel um, also the the appearance of the angel to Zechariah telling the birth of John the Baptist exactly. the appearance of the angel to Mary is only found in Luke uh the appearance of the angel to the shepherds again that's only found in Luke um there is a lot of unique material to Luke's uh description of the foretelling of Christ's birth Christ's birth and then the the few years afterwards you know yeah, uh, yeah there's and something of... quite distinctive of Luke's gospel is that it it relies on eyewitness accounts. That's why he, he, he mm. says the purpose of it is to com com compose an orderly account of these things that have happened. Yeah, right from the beginning, he tells us what his he tells us what his purpose is, doesn't he? He says that 
Um, actually, let me just see if I can find the exact quote. It's, it's uh, quite interesting because that would be handy for a lot of people. What What is your plain purpose of, of this book or story mm. or TV series? What is the purpose of this? <laughs> well, this is what he says, like right, right, right from the beginning. He says, uh, inasmuch as many have undertaken to accomplish a narrative of the things which have been accomplished amongst us, just as they were delivered to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been informed. That's the purpose of his gospel, that you may know the truth about the things of which you have been informed. So he's very concerned with truth. Yeah, you're right. He says that we have heard a lot of things from from uh, eyewitnesses. He is very interested in giving a uh, an orderly account, which might suggest that they've heard lots of uh, snippets of information. And so now he's trying to sort of put them down in a logical order. And so Luke himself has sort of investigated this. But yeah, I mean, obviously he's not doing history as we would think about history today. Uh, he's so by, that, by that do you mean chronological so we would we would tell of history chronologically yeah i mean there is a question uh, about chronology uh you know is it, i mean luke i think is concerned more with a sort of a logical sort of flow to his gospel so yes he's interested in in the what he says is presented accurately and truly and is presenting um, uh, theological truths um, as well as historical truths and things like that. Um, but really what I mean is like he's not following what's called the historical critical method. Luke isn't somebody who is like a World War II historian um, uh, and approaching things from, from, from that perspective. How history is written in the uh, ancient Near East uh, and, and in the ancient world generally uh, is different to how history is written now. Um, now, if you read a, 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 a history about World War II, you wouldn't find uh, necessarily people trying to draw out theological truths or presenting things which highlight the theological truth of what's happening and the theological significance of what's happening. But this is exactly what Luke is doing. So there are many uh, aspects of Luke's text where he's trying to draw attention to a a theological a theological position or a theological truth that he's trying to to explain yeah so, so luke's gospel then uh, goes he goes on then to mention the birth of john the baptist that it's foretold that a, an angel appears to zachariah and i've heard you uh, describe that as an annunciation as well yeah, you know, um, it, I would say that, yeah, ordinarily when we think about the Annunciation, of course, we're thinking about when the angel Gabriel appears to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, you know, we pray our rosary and, you know, the first mystery of the rosary, the joyful mystery uh, of the joyful mysteries is the appearance of the Archangel Gabriel to the Blessed Virgin Mary. But actually, there is another Annunciation. The uh, Gabriel goes to John the Baptist's father, Zachariah, and announces you know, annunciation, announce, announces to him uh, that his wife will conceive and bear a son and his name will be John. And this, of course, all takes place in the temple, which is, uh, I think, very interesting. Um, uh, there's something you were saying, actually, about a parallel 
with uh, with a situation in the Old Testament with Daniel. Is that right? Yeah, I find that quite interesting. So some scholars, some biblical scholars reflect on a link between Daniel and Zechariah. So if you remember the prophet Daniel in the time of exile that Israel has in Babylon, Daniel is praying for the end of this, this Gentile rule and that he's praying for the for, for Israel to be able to come back to the land. And then the angel Gabriel, so the same angel, appears to Daniel who is praying at the hour of the temple sacrifice and he tells yeah. Daniel that his prayer has been heard. And it's interesting because some scholars, they seem to reflect that this, it's at the same time of day and it's the same message that Gabriel brings to Zechariah when he is ministering in the temple. So Gabriel announces to Daniel that Israel's exile will not last 70 years, but 70 times seven years. And then Gabriel announces that a Messiah will also come. So an anointed king will come. And mm. it's interesting then that it's the fact that Gabriel, of all the angels, it's Gabriel who now comes, who's sent to Zechariah. And he indicates that the time of exile is over and that the time of the anointed Messiah is at hand and that John uh, will be, uh, John the Baptist will be born and he will bring, he will start to bring about this um, well, proclamation that Jesus is to come. Yeah. So the, the angel says to Zechariah, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Uh, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. So what we see here again is an emphasis on not only the greatness of John the Baptist, we see the 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 angel talking about the vocation of John the Baptist. And we also see the angel saying that the sons of Israel will turn to the Lord their God. It's a message of repentance and fidelity. And of course, what do we see with John the Baptist? He says, repent, you know, the kingdom is at hand. You know, one is coming greater than I. Um, I'm not fit to undo the strap of his sandal, he says in one of the gospels. Um, so yeah, you see that there is a connection there between fidelity and returning to the Lord. And in the Old Testament, where you were saying uh, just a second ago, with returning to the land, it is again one of those symbols of returning to the Lord, returning to fidelity, because to dwell in the land securely, you are to be faithful uh, to the covenant, right? So there is this connection then with fidelity, with repentance, with turning to the Lord, and the Lord is coming to reign. The Lord will return. In the Old Testament, when God is talking about uh, Israel having, having a king, a human king, God says, well, you know, this king who you're going to have, he's going to take your sons and he's going to send them into war and he's going to take some of your olive and he's going to take your vines and all the rest of it. And he sees it, the Lord presents it very much in terms of, you are rejecting my kingship over you and asking for another king. And this king will not be as great as I am. And you'll be basically like his slaves. Um, but the Lord promises not to leave Israel there. He's not going to leave them uh, in this situation. And so then, of course, he sends Christ, who is not only fully human, so satisfies our desire for a human king, but he's also fully divine. So God returns himself as king uh, so yeah, but anyway, to go back to to John the Baptist uh, for a moment, there's an interesting, um, I think it's quite an interesting 
uh, thing that the angel says where the angel is talking about what John will do and what John will be like and the greatness of John and that John will have a prominent place in the history of salvation in God's providence. Uh, that's a very interesting thing. And then when you see later on, um, uh, to skip ahead a little bit, Zechariah, when he's saying the, the Nunc Dimittis, he again tells John, he addresses he addresses the, the greatness of God and how God fulfills his promises. So this is very much a time of fulfillment. But he talks directly to John the Baptist and tells him what he will do, that he's there to teach people knowledge of their salvation and that he is to prepare the way of the Lord and he's to, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. It's something sort of metaphysically shattering. He's to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. The time of salvation is at hand. And he prepares the way of the Lord. He prepares the way of um, Jesus Christ. And of course... So that's the Benedictus, is that what you're saying? Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the Benedictus, not the <laughs> Nunc Dimittis. <laughs> yeah. I'll never live that one down. Thing. Yeah, I think we'll yeah. leave that in there. The Nunc Dimittis we'll is something else. That out. <laughs> oh, dad. No, yeah. so they so the Benedictus. Which... I can only imagine what Amelia is going to say to this. Oh, Tom made a mistake. He's like, yes, Tom made a mistake. Tom never <laughs> makes mistakes. Brother Thomas never makes mistakes. Oh, brother so, Thomas. So just to reiterate, makes that, mistakes. So when so just so we situate ourselves in in, in yes. the narrative a little bit there. So when John is is born, uh, Zachariah can finally speak. So when the angel Gabriel oh, yeah. announces. Sorry. We, we haven't mentioned that actually when uh, mm -hmm. we haven't mentioned that John the Baptist, uh, sorry, John the Baptist's father, Zachariah, is struck dumb by the angel. Um, why is it that why is it then that the that the angel um, removes his ability to speak? And there's also a suggestion that actually he can't hear because, of course, when when um, they're talking about the name of the child, they're making signs. They're making signs to Zachariah, and Zachariah sort of signals for for a writing tablet. Um, so there's a, a question that maybe it's not only his speech that has been taken away, but perhaps also his hearing has been taken away too. But why? Well, it's, it's interesting then that the the question he asks because there's this comparison between the Annunciation mm. to Zechariah and the Annunciation to Mary. So it's the, the same angel, it's Angel Gabriel, who brings this, this good news. And Zechariah and Mary both ask questions uh, of, this, of this news. And Zechariah's question uh, in the Greek, uh, when we translate it, is, by what will I know this? And Mary's is, how will this be? But of course, Mary, is, is her speech is not taken away or her hearing's not taken away. Um, and the angel Gabriel actually actually answers Mary's question, uh, and I, I think I, I would say with some reading of this, I think it's because Zechariah is asking for a sign, and it's similar to some of the questions that are asked in the Old Testament. So when we think of Moses or Pharaoh or Abraham, when God announces something to them, they ask for a sign, mm. and this this is obviously a sign of doubt about how God is going to do this. But Mary Mary's question is Yeah, he's basically is, saying prove it, isn't be? he? Prove yeah, it. How prove how it. do I know that how do I know that this is going to come to pass? What sign are you going to give me that this that this is true? Yeah. Um, that, so you know, I, so uh, I think that Mary's that you're is an different. angel of light, you know. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
but but Mary's is is Mary's question is different. How will this come to be? Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There is. Uh, I I think that's a very good distinction to make uh between uh b- b- between the two sort of responses and so the angel gabriel sort of he replies by saying i am gabriel who stand in the presence of the most high and you know you can imagine him saying it like that can't you you know i am gabriel like you know you know but he doesn't say that me. to mary you know he doesn't he doesn't he respond doesn't. like that to the question no. he actually answers her question which is which tells you i think implies that there is a difference least, between implies, what's yeah, going on interiorly there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's what, a difference what, in the question. The the manner in which Zachariah is asking his question, uh, maybe the tone as well, you know, who knows? Uh, maybe also the tone was strange, not just the internal disposition. Yeah. And uh, I said like, you know, Zachariah, here's someone who is a, a priest of the temple who knows the stories of the Old Testament. You think of yes. those who have tried to conceive for yeah. a long time in the Old Testament and are, unable to and and god sort of intervenes for for purpose so he knows these and he stories. should know better exactly yeah, yeah. He, he's yeah. a priest of the temple he should know better he should know that the lord can do these things and the lord has done these things in the yeah. past um because i mean it's not unreasonable for zachariah to sort of you know wonder because after all scriptures tell us you know the couple is aged uh, they weren't able to have children. Of course, the first thing that we're told about them is that they're good people. They're good people. They're they're uh, getting on in years, shall we say? Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's a natural thing to say. Well, well, how can this be? Um, but in the the difference is that in when Mary is speaking, there isn't this sense of doubt. It's like, okay, this is this is um, this is um this is what will be but how shall it be she says for i have not known man so you know i haven't had sexual intercourse you know so how will i be pregnant you know um well you'll be overshadowed by uh the power of the lord by uh the holy spirit will descend upon you uh and you shall conceive and you shall bear a son and she says be it done to me according to thy word whereas zachariah sort of says well what sign are you going to give me what's what's how 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 do i know that basically you're telling me the truth whereas the the virgin mary says okay so this this i believe that this that this that this can happen but how 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 can it happen since i have not known a man whereas of course in the case of zachariah and elizabeth uh john the baptist is conceived in the natural way in the ordinary way and uh the angel is saying to uh, john the baptist that elizabeth uh, shall bear a son uh, and he shall be called john this is all of the these are all the wonderful things that he's going to do this is the place that he has in the history of salvation he'll be a source of great joy for you um whereas with the virgin mary of course she's not saying you know can this be the case prove it to me that this is going to happen instead she's saying well how will it be how will it be the case since i have not known a man very yeah, very I mean, different. It's, it's interesting as, as, as well then when gabriel says that elizabeth has conceived a son and says for with god nothing will be impossible and we, it sort of harkens back to something in the old testament you were telling me about yeah so in uh when the angel gabriel is talking to mary uh the angel says 
nothing is impossible with God. Of course, in the Old Testament, when you when we think about Abraham and Sarah, uh, Sarah herself, you know, was was uh, described as. Uh, and Abraham himself also, they were both described as getting on in years in similar terms to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, and Sarah laughs when she's told that she's going to have a child. Sarah laughs. And the guests say, basically, why are you laughing? What are you laughing at? Is anything impossible with God? Rhetorical question. Well, with Mary, you don't have this question, is anything impossible with God? Because Mary says, be it done to me according to thy word. There is faith there. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. So it's a, it's a really beautiful, a really beautiful sort of thing there, yeah. There is something very different then, basically, that we can see between the conception of John the Baptist and the conception of Jesus. Uh, there is no sexual intercourse when it comes to the birth of Jesus. Uh, whereas with John the Baptist, John the Baptist is conceived in the natural way. So there is something miraculous about it. Uh, after all, you know, the couple is aged and we're told that the that the, that the couple uh, can't have children. Um, so there is something miraculous about it. However, there is something much more supernatural and wondrous about Jesus's birth because it, it happens in a different mode. You know, she uh, it's it's the 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 Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, and the being overshadowed by the power of the Most High, uh, this is how Mary becomes pregnant. It's not in the natural way. Um, so yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's not in the natural order. It's in the supernatural order. It's a miraculous birth in a different way. Yeah, wonderful. Anyway, sort of maybe we should move on a bit from John the Baptist's birth. Unless is there something else you want to say about John the Baptist's birth? Yeah, well, I, I was just going to mention, you said about fulfillment. This is the time of fulfillment. Of course, mm. with Zechariah's great song of, of blessing, I think that's what you call it, Benedictus, that means song of blessing. Yeah, the Benedictus. Yeah, yeah so the, this Benedictus. So woven throughout that are many images that link to Old Testament themes. So we have, for example, the release of God's people, the covenant promised by God, the arrival of a prophet, a prophet to prepare the way for the Lord. You know, amongst many other things. So these mm. refer back to things that have happened in the Old Testament. And I, I know as well that, that there are some scholars that sort of count these prophecies which have which are being fulfilled with the birth of Christ and some number 466, you know, 466 different prophecies that are fulfilled when it comes to these infancy narratives and these Old Testament stories that link to, to the New Testament. Mm. And I think that what we do see here in Luke's gospel is that he's referring again and again back to the Old Testament, uh, even with just little nods to, to the Old Testament with certain phrases that are used, even when it comes to yes. the mention of of uh, Jesus himself, uh, when in terms of his heritage as well, when we consider some yeah. of the other gospel accounts. I mean, it shouldn't surprise us. I mean, it shouldn't surprise us that we see this repetition of passages from the Old Testament. You see this all the time in, in Scripture. Repetition of themes, sort of uh, semantic things, things that have very particular meanings, but also direct verbatim sort of quotes that are deliberately there to remind you of something in the in the Old Testament so that you know that this is the fulfillment in Scripture. Uh, and this shouldn't surprise us uh, at all. This is one of the reasons why people were so 
found it so wondrous and so amazing because they saw all of these things being fulfilled before their eyes and you know they were much more saturated and immersed in scripture than than either of us are uh, i say that i say that maybe to our shame <laughs> but um i know how wondrous i find it when i find typology in scripture and stuff like that you know uh when i find things uh in so, the so new testament which parallel things in the old Typology is like when you find something in the Old Testament and something in the New Testament where there are sort of close parallels. So you might find a fulfillment of something. So you might say, for example, that Moses typology or Joshua typology, meaning uh, showing the similarities between Moses and Joshua, which are emphasizing something uh, true and theological about uh, Christ or wherever it is that you're that you're drawing the parallel. Uh, one of the one of my favorite ones is the parallel between Peter uh, receiving the keys and then the keys as you find them in the Old Testament um, uh, in Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, you see a lot of similarities and there are too many to explain away because at first you sort of see them and you think, oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, that makes that 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 reminds me of such and such. And then the more you dig, the more you see that actually this can't have been by chance. This must have been deliberate because yeah. there are so many, so many parallels between them. And then you think, well, why are they making this parallel? What point are they trying to make? Um, I think, and then actually, you find these theological truths. It's so beautiful. I think actually that's a good point is is the the gospel writers, New Testament writers on a whole. This is what they they do. They, they can see these links, which is why they write about them. Um, it's mm. why, you know, Jesus is called the, the new Adam. It's why you, you have Peter referring to baptism as now sa- saving you as the people who were saved with the ark through the waters. So you, you yes. have the, the writers of the New Testament doing that them, themselves. They write this into the Gospels and, and the letters. So, yeah, very interesting point. So Absolutely. let's move on then to the Annunciation of uh, <laughs> my pronunciation, right? to the annunciation to Mary. Annunciation to Mary, yeah, the angel Gabriel. So this comes after um, the Annunciation of of Zachariah, and you have then so Gabriel comes and he visits the Blessed Virgin Mary, and he says, "I yeah." <laughs> he says a bit more than that. He says, "Hail, full of grace." The Lord is yes. with thee. So this is very interesting. So he doesn't say Mary's name initially. He goes on to say Mary's name, but in that greeting, that initial greeting, he doesn't call her Mary. But with exactly. Zachariah, and, he does. And this, and this is makes the same it very angel. strange. Th- yeah. This is exactly right. I mean, it makes it very, very strange. Whenever you see angels turning up somewhere, uh, you know they don't they don't talk to people in the way that Gabriel talks to Mary. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating. Hail K Karatomene, he says. Now, K Karatomene means uh, the one who at some point in the past has received grace and therefore has grace now, right? So Mary has at some point in the past received grace and therefore she has now. It's really remarkable that this is how he chooses, this is how the angel Gabriel chooses to refer to Mary. Of course, if if this was very common, if it was common that people in the past have received grace and therefore in a state of, of grace now and things, and if there was nothing extraordinary about it, why would the angel choose to refer to Mary in this way? If there's nothing extraordinary about this moment, about Mary herself, 
Why would he choose to refer to her in this way? And it's the only time in scripture where we see anybody called Keikaratomene. In fact, actually, I think it's probably the only time when we actually see Keikaratomene at all. Uh, I, I think there's one other reference. Uh, is it in Paul's letter to the Ephesians? But it's a, it's a different. It's a, yeah, it's not the, the same whole word. stem, but it's not the whole word. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting actually when you compare luke's gospel here so the greeting of the angel to zachariah is do not be afraid zachariah for your prayer is heard whereas the greeting to to mary is an actual greeting i mean there is no greeting to zachariah is there as far as i can see in the text do not be afraid zachariah yeah whereas it's hail very common in scripture lord is with (laughs) you Whenever yeah, the angels appear afraid. to anybody, don't be afraid. You know, yeah. maybe you should be, but don't I mean, of be. course, he goes on to say, <laughs> "Do not be afraid, Mary." But that's not the and that's not the first thing he says. The first mm. thing he says to and what Mary is, it is he "Hail, says, for the grace of the Lord is with thee." What is it he says? Just what is it that is said just before he says, "Do not be afraid, Mary." What is it that's said in the preceding passage? So it says, "Hail, for the grace of the Lord is with thee." But she was greatly troubled at this saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. So greeting. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And and what's interesting is And she recognizes that herself. She recognizes that's a strange way to greet somebody. (laughs) (laughs) It's a strange way. Yeah. And sorry to talk over you there. But the point is, so Zachariah is, as the text says, Zachariah and Elizabeth are righteous as you say they're good people it says yes. that it says in the text there and they were both righteous before god so so they're 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 good people they're found righteous in in the eyes of god but they're not even given the greeting that's similar to to mary's not in any way yeah it's in it, the the greeting is not similar in any way yeah hail k caratomine hail one who has at some point in the past received grace and therefore has grace now <laughs> And she says, what? <laughs> She's like, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what does this mean? Do not be afraid, Mary. Sorry, I got a bit carried away. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean that, Gabriel. Please don't, don't Please don't strike me. Strike me silent. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a very beautiful, a very beautiful moment. I think it shows the great dignity and uh, the unique place that Mary has in, in salvation history. Um, it shows that there is something special and unique about her that the angel would choose to greet her in such a way and in a way that is different to any other angelic greeting that we see anywhere in scripture um and yeah mary's sort of wondering what it means uh that she has received grace in the past and is currently in a state of uh and is therefore in a, in, a, in a state of grace now yeah very interesting of course, in Gabriel's explanation of who the son will be, he refers back to the, the throne of his father David. Oh, sorry, that the that the son will be called the son of God the Most High, and that he will be given the throne of his father David, and that mm. he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. You know, so he was referring Look back at that to language. kingship, yeah, Old kingship. Testament. King David, the one who who's thought to be, you know, the greatest king of Israel. Well, one who is greater than David is here now, right? Reign, language of reigning. This is about the reign of God. God Himself has returned as king to rule in the in the hearts and minds of His people. But of course, Christ says later on in Scripture, "My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. It's not a kingdom as you expect, but I will reign." You know. 
or does range, should I say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely interesting. Another thing that we find that the angel says to Mary, of course, is she tells her that Elizabeth is pregnant. She tells Mary that Elizabeth's pregnant. And what does Mary do? She sets off at once to go to the hill country. Um, very, very interesting interesting stuff the holy spirit the angel says so when 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 our lady says how shall this be since i i have not known uh, i have not known a man the angel says to her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of god the son of god remarkable and behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth in her old age will, has also conceived a son. Uh, and off she hurries to the hill country. And then we see this beautiful uh, this beautiful scene, the, the visitation, the second joyful mystery of the rosary. We see where Mary and Elizabeth meet. And as soon as uh, the words of Mary, the greeting of Mary reaches the ears of Elizabeth, the child in her womb leaps for joy. And so then it's at this point when Elizabeth herself is described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. We have a lot of filling with the Holy Spirit at the beginning of Luke's gospel. We have, you know, that Mary is, uh, you know, she's received grace. She's uh, therefore has grace now. You have uh, the Holy Spirit overshadowing her. You have... You have John the Baptist uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. You have Elizabeth being filled with the Holy Spirit when she encounters Christ in the womb of the Virgin Mary. You have Zachariah later filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's all over the show here right at the beginning. Um, I, I, it's just a beautiful thing. And here, of course, is the first time we see a human being call Mary Mother of God. Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me, the mother of my Lord? And this is after, of course, she's been filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of truth. So Elizabeth being filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the love of God, filled with the spirit of truth, declares Mary the mother of the Lord, recognizes who Mary is, that she has a unique place in salvation history. Blessed are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you amongst women. Most blessed are you amongst women. She has a unique place in Israel's history. And Elizabeth recognizes that right from the off. Of course, you have the angel. Um, the angel says that Christ is Savior. Sorry, that Jesus is Christ, that Jesus is Savior, and that Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord and Mary gives birth to one person, then Mary gives birth to the Savior. Mary gives birth to Christ. Mary gives birth to the Lord. Um, so, yeah, Mary is the mother of the Lord. Um, this and of course, it's, it's Elizabeth that says that after being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's it's the, the spirit of truth, as, as we said before, uh, that the whole point of Luke writing the gospel is to to deliver truth and it's that yes. spirit of truth who comes upon elizabeth and fills her and then she exclaims with a loud voice these you know this truth the mother of my lord mm. yeah so then mary gives this beautiful song this ma magnificat which 
obviously harkens back to a beautiful song in the Old Testament of Hannah. Um, and there, there are many links there between the two. But I remember you mentioning that there are some people who, who talk about, uh, who who um, question who says this, who, who gives this song. This Yes. So some scholars, so in the Greek, it is a bit ambiguous whether it's Mary who sings, who, who proclaims the Magnificat or whether it's Elizabeth. Um, the reason why people say that it might be Elizabeth is because both Elizabeth and Hannah are described as not being able to um, bear children. So there is more of, of a connection there in that sense, right? However, I think that it is most properly attributed to Mary. And why do I say this? It's not just because tradition has sort of held that Mary is the one who says this. Um, but because Mary says to the angel that she is the handmaid of the Lord, Mary identifies herself as the handmaid of the Lord. She says, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me uh, according to thy word. Um, and we see this phrase, this title, the handmaid of the Lord, also repeated in the Magnificat. Um, so, yeah, there is a, a dispute among some scholars. Is it Mary's song or is it Elizabeth's song? Uh, I, I would err on the side of Mary. I, I think that makes more sense. Mary calls herself the handmaid of the Lord. And again, we see in the Magnificat, the handmaid of the of the Lord comes comes up again. There's a really beautiful part in, uh, I think it's in the second chapter of Luke's Gospel, where it says that Mary pondered all these things at the, in, in her heart. This comes actually right at the very end, I think, after the shepherds. Um, and it might, um, does, is it also repeated maybe after the temple? I think it's in the second chapter anyway. Um, and she says that, or, or the scriptures say, that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. Well, what is it she's pondering? She's pondering the deeds of the Lord. She's pondering the word of the Lord. And when she treasures all these things in her heart, look at that imagery. That imagery is internal. So she's taking the word of the Lord, the deeds of the Lord, and she receives them into herself. There is this intimate connection between Mary and the word, a very intimate connection. And when we consider that John's gospel calls Jesus the word and the word was made flesh, well, where was that word made flesh? The word was made flesh in Mary's womb. So Mary has this this unique relationship with the word in that uh, it, in a very physical way, the word is made flesh in, in, inside of her. The person of, uh, of Jesus Christ uh, is made flesh inside her womb, but also through her participation in the wisdom of God as his mother, as the mother of the Lord, as the mother of Jesus Christ. But again, in another way, by treasuring these things in her heart, she's treasuring the word in her being, not only physically, but spiritually. And this is an active word, the creative word of God who became, yeah, who became flesh in her womb. So then later in the gospel, when we read, you know, who are my mother and my brothers, but those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's not a rebuke, but actually it's a declaration of who they are and what they do. They are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Who are my mother and my brothers? How would I, de how would I define uh, my mother and my brethren? Because that, that word there in Greek is, is ambiguous. It, it can mean blood relations of varying degrees. So it can also mean cousins, for example. So who are my mother and my brethren? They are the ones 
who hear the word of God and keep it. They are my faithful disciples. That's what that's what Christ is saying in that in that moment. And you see at the, at the, that is completely congruent. That reading of scripture is completely congruent with what you find at the beginning of Luke's gospel. That she treasures the word. She ponders the word of the Lord. She says, be it done to me according to thy word. There is this uh, great love that Mary has uh, for the Lord, uh, which is um, there's something unique and special about the love that she has, I think. Um, yeah. Anyway, sort of, we should probably move on. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. The Magnificat, actually, just to talk maybe just very briefly about the Magnificat again, we see that thing, we see this dichotomy between the powerful and the weak. The Lord has cast the mighty from their thrones, He has raised the lowly. And this whole song is actually about fulfillment. Um, we see, uh, the Lord is fulfilling his promises to Israel. God is a God who keeps his promises. Holy is his name. Isn't this wondrous? This is amazing. Uh, it's It fulfills the desires of all of his, Israel's sacred history throughout scripture. And we are the ones who are, who are, who are, who are bearing witness to this here and now. Absolutely it's, remarkable. It's probably a mark of Luke's gospel is is this sort of comparison between the strong and the mighty in the world and the the weak and the humble there seems to be this this comparison especially the way he sets out the the narrative so we have particularly strong figures in those in the first two chapters we have people like caesar augustus mentioned and we have quinius the roman governor of syria and then the focus then shifts luke fo focuses then on Joseph and Mary, who are really no one in the world, but are incredibly significant. And you also have this this comparison between the sort of titles that are used. So you have Herod, who uses the title King of the Jews, but of course he's not the real King of the Jews. He, he has no legitimacy to that title. So Luke is comparing the two and almost giving us the, the question, well, who is the real King of the Jews? Who is the one who's going to bring the peace? Who who's going to be the the prince of peace? Who's going to be the the lord of your life? Uh, if, mm. if to put it like that. So the the comparison between these two things seems to be a mark of of something which Luke does. And I, I remember C.S. Lewis talks about the why would Jesus be born in this way? You know why would the savior of the world be born in this way? And he has a line which says that well Jesus was born in this way because he he slips quietly behind enemy lines because that seems to be the mark of Luke's gospel is this opposition between God and worldly powers. So who whose side are you on? So he, he C.S. Lewis says that Jesus slips clandestinely, he says, behind enemy lines. That quietness that sort of comes out in that imagery that, you, that you're talking about there in C.S. Lewis is very interesting as well, isn't it? Because the you have all of this very uh lyrical prose about the announcing of 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 the incarnation uh the announcing of the conception of john the baptist um even later uh with the shepherds when the birth is actually announced you know you have angels appear glory to god in the highest and on earth peace to people of goodwill for unto us the savior has been born you have these beautiful lyrical sort of descriptions but when it comes to the actual birth itself it's just one line you know, and unto her was born, uh, 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 
her firstborn son and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and he was laid in a manger that's it then they move on to the shepherds um so maybe we should um yeah i think it's beautiful humility isn't it it's humility that's yeah and i think it, it really shows us something and he does it in a narrative form yeah it does yeah speaking over each other there but yeah, I think I think it shows something of who God is, that he comes in the same way that we are born. And that's the way he comes to save us. And it's, you know, it's the most unexpected way. Um, yeah, that he, he, he really comes by way of compassion, if you like. He comes by way of mercy. He fights alongside us in the way that we're tempted, in, in, in the same way that we're tempted. You know, he humbles himself to share in our humanity. You know, like the, the church fathers often say over and over again, the same sort of line that God became man so that we might become God. Mm-hmm. So he comes alongside us to share in our humanity that we may share in his divinity. The, there is this contrast as well between why Jesus comes. So, you know, we all come into this world to live. But I mean, you could say that Jesus comes into this world to die. So he, I mean, death is really the goal. I mean, that's why... I've, what, I, what I've heard it said before. Because when you think actually Jesus' birth is pointing forward to his death, I, I know you, you mentioned about some of the symbols that link the, the two together. So at the beginning, mm. there's a manger, and a manger is you know, a feeding trough that gives life to other people or to other things. And then there's the, there's the cross at the end, which is obviously the death of Jesus in order to bring life. Um, and then you, you also have other parallels. You know, he's disowned at the beginning, you know, who, who's there to receive him? The world is not there to receive him, really. And at the end, he's rejected. Uh, he's, a, he, he's a stranger in the stable, you know, has nowhere to, to go. And then at the end, he's laid in a, in a stranger's grave. So you have these sorts of links. And then obviously the, the swaddling bands at his birth and then the swaddling clothes at his burial. Mm. So there, there are lots of links that, that tie these there two are, events yeah. together. I mean, I'm not sure whether I'd say he he's disowned in the beginning because, of course, he has his mother Mary and 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 his foster father Joseph there in Bethlehem, and the shepherds come. So but I think he, in terms he of Herod, disowned. I mean, you think but of yeah, like but Herod. I mean, Herod doesn't really know that he exists by no, that but stage. Like, he, I mean, he certainly. Him, <laughs> well, yeah, sends, I mean, he um, sends out people to in Matthew's to gospel. He rooms. sends people to mm. yeah. So that's in Matthew's yeah, gospel, which Matthews. we'll get to next week. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is, there is, there is something, something true in what you're saying. But we also see these parallels between the incarnation and also the resurrection, right? So you have angels in both situations. You have the appearance to people who can't bear legal witness on their own. So whether that be the shepherds who are not trusted, uh, or women who I think have to give testimony in in more than one number if they can give testimony. I'm I'm a bit rusty on ancient Jewish law. Um, uh, ancient ancient Near Eastern law. Um, you also see fear at the supernatural. You have the cloths, the swaddling cloths in the manger, and also the cloths that are laid in the tomb. You have angels interpreting what's going on, witnesses telling people what they've seen. Uh, when the shepherds go around telling everyone what they've seen, people are in shock. And when the women go back and tell the disciples, they don't believe them. Uh, there's disbelief. So you have a, a lot of similarities between these two great moments of revelation. This great moment of revelation when God reveals himself uh, in the person of Jesus Christ at the incarnation um, by taking on flesh. You know, we have the return of the king. It's a moment of revelation when God shows who he is by what he has done. Uh, and then in the resurrection, again, which shows who God is. Um, by by what he has done, it is a is a, a moment of revelation. You see, you do see these parallels. 
Yeah, shepherds so just in the actually... last few few minutes, then, if you want to mm. move on to the shepherds, then. So. Oh yeah. I know, we, we, we have so much that could be said in this episode about, about Luke's gospel. <laughs> so the so the shepherds then, I mean, we, we sort of see them now as meek and, and mild and kind. But of course, uh, in the area, even nowadays, but, but most especially back in the day at the time of Jesus, they, would have, they wouldn't have been seen as that. They would have been as, seen as despised. They would have been outcasts, really. They were, you know, they lived, there was even now, you know, people think of them as very strange people. If, you know, you go and you visit the land. Uh, I remember when I visited the guide that was showing me around said, look at all these houses. The government have built them all these houses in the middle of the desert so they can uh, sleep in a house while they're watching their sheep. But actually what happens at nighttime is that a lot of the shepherds will put their cattle in the house and they will sleep outside because they think, oh, this must be like a, a pen or something. It's a completely different way of seeing the world. They put their sheep inside the house to keep them safe and then they sleep outside. Uh, it's yeah but i remember him also saying you know you trust them with your with your goats and your sheep but you don't really trust them with anything else even now you know two thousand years after the birth of christ uh yeah. after the angels appeared to them and said you know a savior's been born for you christ the lord um it's it's fascinating but they do live a very different life to the majority even now and also at the time to the majority of people there's something very nomadic about them something very but this is who God has choose to reveal himself. You know, it shows again something about how God acts, you know, humility, mercy, kindness. I remember uh, saying that the, I've read about the saying that the rabbis used to say, what a tax collector is in the city, a shepherd is in the countryside. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't trust a tax collector. I mean, they were despised and so too a shepherd would be as well. As you say, mm. nomadics, they, they would be, outcasts in terms of living on the outside of the towns and the cities yeah so why would god reveal himself as a child first to shepherds i mean it's fascinating why not to the priests and the rulers why not to someone who I, can get the news yeah. out to other people i, I think no that one's going to listen a, to shepherd yeah i think that there, there is a spiritual lesson to be learned there right you know focus on what is being said and the truth of what is being said rather than who it is that's saying it uh, you know, all truth, no matter who says it or where it comes from, is is from the Holy Spirit. And all of us can find it really easy to dismiss somebody who we disagree with, right? Whether it be we disagree with them because of their religious opinions or their political opinions or whatever it is. Um, there are some people who we find it easier to trust more than others. And that can have its benefits. But it can also have a downside in that we can ignore the truth that is being preached by somebody just because maybe we just don't like them. Maybe we just don't understand them. But actually, we should accept whatever is true as a gift from God. I think uh, another thing that it shows is that nobody's count in the eyes of God. So if anyone feels like a nobody, God is saying, actually, you count. You know, you count in the in the eyes of God. Uh, one of the other things I was, I was also thinking about is what is the Lord doing in in this narrative what is luke trying to show that the lord is doing and i think he's, he's showing in contrast in the strong and the mighty in the world with the lowly and those who received the message from from the angels i think in, he's showing that actually god's weakness is stronger than our strength so in this infant baby king lying in a manger that baby is more powerful than all the kings of the world all the powers and the mighty and 
all the, the strength that is on show in the world. So thank you very much for joining us for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that you, you got a lot from it in preparation for Christmas. Please like and subscribe to the podcast and please share this episode with other people if you've enjoyed it. Thank you. God bless. Goodbye. God bless.